Welcome to The World According to Craig. On this week's episode, we have Sean Mullen, a postdoc fellow at Caltech, who's also a good friend and a scientist, which I find really exciting. So, Sean, thank you for joining me. Happy to be here, thanks. Um, so, before we get into what you do now, I'd like for people, we're going to, you know, on today's episode, I'd really like to talk about what you do, who you are as a person, and more importantly, because you're a scientist and there's a lot of conversation going on in the world right now about science, the intersection of science and public policy and what people should be making about the debate um, over those things. And not really in a way that other people are talking about of should we be listening to Dr. Fauci or who's ever president, but more about at the core how science and government and policy interact. That's just a cheat ahead. But first, I'd like for people to get to know you a little bit. Now, I understand from, frankly, knowing you, since we're friends, that you were a theater kid and you were always just as sarcastic as you are now. You grew up where again? Yeah, I grew up in Sacramento, California, although I was actually born in the Bay Area. and Which might as well be a whole other state, to be clear. And, oh, yeah. And they've tried to be. Northern Jefferson, California. right? <laughs> Definitely has... Uh, delusions of grandeur sometimes when it comes to separating from uh, the rest of California. But I will say that we have the water, so, you know. Okay, and, and the fires. You now have the fires. <laughs> well, we share those <laughs> with everybody. Okay, and so growing up in Northern California, you had this fantastical idea that you wanted to be a doctor, right? And then you went along the route like everyone else and you're not a doctor, although you have a doctor in front of your name now because you have a PhD, right? That is true, yeah. I am technically a doctor, but in the way that, uh, you know, when they ask for a doctor on an airplane, you don't really want me to stand up. I'm not going to be of any use. Um, yeah, so I currently have my doctorate degree in um, geobiology, which is sort of like environmental microbiology. But as you said, when I was growing up, I definitely wanted to be a medical doctor, what people normally think of, um, in part because... My father um, worked for an awfully long time as a, a nurse practitioner and uh, doing family medicine. And I just, you know, he would come home with stories about what he'd done during the day, and I always found that really exciting. And the idea of helping people and sort of solving their problems, you know, medical problems or, or whatever other kind of problems, was always just really, uh, yeah, really attractive to me. So you're going to solve the medical problems, but not the therapy ones, because that's what you do as my friend now. So, <laughs> <That's right. laughs> um, but how do you make the transition from being like a doctor who helps people to a doctor who helps things that are not people? They're little tiny uh, microbes, right? Right. Yes. Um, yeah. That was, so I I went to college at, at UC Berkeley and right up until I got to college and a few years into college, I thought I was still going to try to be become a, an MD. Um, but once I got to Berkeley, you know, we're in a class of several thousand people, and an awful lot of those people want to be doctors. And I kind of found that I just wasn't really loving my biology classes all that much, to be perfectly honest. Like, they were not <clears throat> as fun as I expected it to be. Um, but what really turned the corner for me actually was uh, in my third year. Um, I was, so I was a junior, and I took a class called bacterial pathogenesis, which was basically just bacterial diseases. It was taught from uh, two perspectives. So two professors taught this class. One of them was an immunologist, so it was focused on human immunology. And Which the is other, like the body's immune response to things, right? Like it's right. what makes you better. Exactly, like what fixes the bacteria. Okay. And the other one was uh, you know, a microbiologist. So he was talking about these diseases from the perspective of the bacteria. 
So the whole the bacteria class, has opinions. I'm just I'm well, they have strategies. Let's okay. put it that way. Um, and yeah, definitely the whole class was taught from this idea of sort of this warring, uh, you know, tit for tat between the immune system and the bacteria that are trying to infect you. So it's like the English War of the Roses, except for kings and queens fighting. It's bacteria versus humans. And since you're a microbiologist, I take it now you were rooting for the bacteria. Well, definitely that's what it became. Yeah. So is the version of that, uh, well, no, is it like, I guess, pro-bacteria and anti-ba instead of anti-fa, <laughs> right? Like instead of like, if you're like, if you're on the human side, are you like warring against the bacteria? I, I need to go on the record and say, I am not anti-human. <laughs> <laughs> I just find our immune system strategies to be uh, less exciting. Um, basically, we just chop things up and then look for them, and that's like, boring. I think the whole point of a global pandemic is our immune strategy pretty much sucks at this point. Yeah, you can sort of, I, I like to think about it as the immune system is like the United States military in Vietnam, and the bacteria are the guerrilla fighters. They're doing whatever they can. They're like doing interesting, weird, kind of terrible things, right? But, you know. So it's a miracle we're alive. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> okay, so what do you do now that you have firmly sided with the bacterial faction <laughs> so, instead of the humans? Um, I actually don't study anything related to human diseases whatsoever at this point, actually. Um, there's a whole wide world of microbiology that has nothing to do with humans, in fact, and that is actually even more exciting, in my opinion, than the stuff that does have to do with humans. So there's bacteria on bacteria wars as opposed to bacteria on human wars. Absolutely, actually that's how a lot of antibiotics originally got discovered, was through these bacteria on bacteria infighting, mm. if you will. Selling each other out to the other side. Yep. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. I am all about this. All right, <laughs> we, they, we, are, we are transversing modern politics into the bacterial world. I, I don't should know where say that also though, that it's not just about wars. There's a lot of cooperation, a lot of sharing of resources that also happens in the environment. <laughs> um, so it's not just fighting. So there's the NATO of bacteria. Yes, absolutely. Okay. So you are studying bacteria on bacteria violence. And cooperation. And cooperation, okay. <laughs> and so what, but you go in the ocean a lot. I hear. Yeah, absolutely. Because so, like you disappear once a year and you go to the Galapagos on a submarine and a ship, which <laughs> Un unbeknownst to me is not the type of ship that I would go on, which has like cocktails and um, waiters and maybe like a sea cabin with a, an ocean view. That's not that type of ship. Yeah, um, the sailors on these ships are decidedly, you know, not in the like short shorts variety. Okay. Um, <laughs> All right. Yeah, these are um, research Did you give vessels. them a pair of short shorts just to see? I didn't try. Okay. To be just honest. Just making sure we covered our bases. Next time, next okay. year. <laughs> you might be thrown overboard. Yeah, so um, as you know, you kind of think about different classes of ships, these are research vessels specifically, and oftentimes these research, research vessels have um, <clears throat> either uh, submersibles, so human-occupied vehicles, or re remotely controlled vehicles that are used specifically for a scientific exploration and sam taking samples. Um, and you can do that in the water column, so not on the seafloor. Most of my work happens on the seafloor. Okay, so you go down to the bottom of the ocean, yep. and you look around. You're not allowed to wear wool, you tell me, in the submarine, because it might start a fire, although you're surrounded by water, so I don't understand the problem. We won't go, that's a different episode about <laughs> physics or chemistry. I gotta find new friends on those subjects. But you go down to the bottom of the ocean, mm -hmm. and you get out a microscope, and you look at the 
the little things. I wish we could do that. Unfortunately, okay. most of what we're doing uh, on the bottom of the ocean is actually just looking at the stuff that you can see with the naked eye and taking lots and lots of samples so that we can look at them with a microscope once those samples <clears throat> are back on the ship. So if I'm watching Planet Earth on Netflix, you're like right behind the camera grabbing things and taking them. Yep, that's okay. me. Yep. Okay, but what's the point of this? Because like we go down there, why does anyone care about microbio things on the ocean floor? Well, there's a sort of a fundamental idea that we don't really know what's on the ocean floor to start with. So it's hard to even start to answer that question because we know so little about the ocean floor. Remarkably, we actually know a lot more about the surface of Mars than we know about the topography, what it looks like on the bottom of our own ocean. This seems to be a problem. Like, I'm all about going to Mars. As you know, I would sign up for that mission, like, in a heartbeat. <laughs> yeah. But you are saying we know more about Mars than we do about the bottom of the ocean. Yeah. Is, like, no, does, is it just because no one cares? Or, like, I mean, there are things on there. Because, like, people, like, we all saw Deepwater Horizon. Um, great movie. Um, bad environmental catastrophe. <laughs> yeah. um, and so some people care what's on the bottom of the ocean floor, but are you, are you down there digging for oil too? Mostly not digging for oil, although a lot of the work that I do does in fact revolve around methane, which is a large component of natural gas. Um, I'm not looking at this in terms of uh, economic prospects. I'm actually just looking <clears> at the <throat> organisms that are down there already taking advantage of that methane, trying to eat it. So basically, those organisms are stealing our methane. Um, in a way, you could think that, but really what they're doing <laughs> is preventing that methane from getting into the atmosphere, which would be even more devastating for us. Because then we would turn into Venus. I know this much about science, yeah. right? right? Like Venus, as opposed to Mars, is like very active, lots of oceans, lots of methane coming up from the bottom of the ocean. Yeah, there's a lot of, um, a lot of greenhouse, greenhouse gases, including methane, a lot of other gases as and well. And methane kills you, just to be clear? Um, in large enough concentrations, yes. Mostly what we're worried about is the fact that methane is roughly 25 times more powerful a greenhouse gas than carbon dioxide. Oh, so global warming is just the tip of the iceberg. Methane's going to fry the planet. Thank you for this redemptive lesson <laughs> on our future. But thankfully, we have these microorganisms on our seafloor that are consuming most of that methane and preventing it from ever reaching our atmosphere in the first place. So little tiny things eat the methane and save us all. That's right. Uh, it's like a Marvel comic, but not quite as like Chris Hemsworthy, right? Yeah, no Ant Man. Actually, smaller than Ant Man most of the time, uh, and more real. <laughs> okay, so you want to take this science, which is kind of incredible if you think there's a whole lot of things. So just to baseline this, you're a scientist. You're studying a whole lot of things we don't know about. We literally don't know what's on the bottom of the ocean floor. But all those things we don't know on the bottom of the ocean floor are basically responsible for keeping us alive. And if anyone is like terrified of global warming, they should be super terrified about the fact that there's like this much, much bigger potential threat that we know absolutely nothing about and you're trying to learn something about. Is that is that a proper summary here? Yeah, um, absolutely. Uh, I, I don't often advocate for being terrified, but um, but yeah, you know, we should be concerned and we should try to be good stewards of our ocean. Okay. But then let's talk about being a good steward. So now you're in science and you are going into policy, right? Like yeah. you're going into the world of the administration, whatever administration is in power, like you're going into public policy. That's right, yeah. So, I mean, this is the question on everybody's mind these days. Uh, so why does a scientist choose to go into government uh, given... I don't know, 
what might some be, be perceived as hostility, regardless <laughs> of who's in the White House, some hostility to some science? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. Um, for one thing, I would just say there are lots of scientists working in the administration, even today, even in the, the Trump administration. There are plenty of scientists still working <clears> in the EPA at the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration for NASA. So there's lots of science happening at the governmental level to start with. And I think a lot of us are sort of driven by the idea that we, as a nation, have something that we can learn and that policy and politics should be driven by evidence, by facts. Um, hmm, novel idea. Yeah. Right. Novel idea in 1988. Also novel idea in 2020. Um, but again, you could drive by facts from the outside, right? Like you could publish a paper. Uh, you could say, hey, look at what's happening over here. Like uh, the ocean's boiling. The plants are dying. I guess there are plants in the ocean, right? So uh, like the whales are going belly up. Mm -hmm. But you're going into government and... There's a whole lot of people who, like, what's interesting to me about government is government is focused on the economy, healthcare, um, like, science is there, like, there's a budget, right? Like, there's yeah. NASA, woohoo, right? Like, there's Space Force, eh, not a great Netflix series, maybe, <laughs> hopefully a better space program. But, like, why go into, why go into government for this purpose? Like, why go into, I mean, you're a little bit like, so if it's the bacteria and the human wars and you cited on the bacteria, you're deciding to go like into a bacteria versus human war. I'm not going to specify which side is bacteria, which side is human in the government <laughs> versus science debate. Yeah. Um, I, well, I think part of it is that, you know, if you've ever actually looked at a scientific paper, um, and I will include my own scientific papers in this, they're incredibly dry. They're not easy to read. They require There's no room for jokes. Definitely it's not, not like what one what one micro bio, what am I supposed to call them again? Micro microorganisms. Micro not what one one, one microorganism said to another at a bar. Yeah, um, they're already in to your bar. Some, oh. Yeah, and uh, yeah, <laughs> you can't get rid of them. <laughs> okay, <laughs> um, welcome. Here's some methane. Give me a double shot of methane. It's not. It's not working. I see. I, I, I yeah. see now. Keeping the jokes out is because the jokes aren't just. Yeah, they're, they're just, just not, not, not that much funny. Um, okay. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, there's just not that much um, that's particularly easily interpretable when you read a scientific paper. You need a lot of background knowledge in order to even start <clears> to look at some of these things. And so I think that's one place where I can see a role for someone like me, where I have this sort of broad array of, of backgrounds, um, different projects that I've worked on throughout my career. Um, and I can hopefully go into, say, a legislator's office, say, okay, here's what the current state of science looks like. This is what science can tell us. This is like the cutting edge side of things. Hopefully you can use these uh, sort of, you know, sort of uh, generalized facts then to take that forward and use that to implement good policy and, uh, and law. So I feel like the stronger argument here is like, so you're like an ambassador for the microorganisms in the bacteria wars. I'm going to just beat this to I love it. Like, like a dead horse. Um, to borrow a phrase, not an actual beating of dead horses. No animals were harmed in the creating of this podcast. Uh, but you're a translator, uh, and you're going over to the other side and saying, okay, like, here's the thing, Senator Feinstein, Senator, pay attention, right? <laughs> like she might need a little snap or two, um, or Senator Cruz, like put down the, the, you know, the, the papers yeah, or no, the comic books. No or, comment. I can't. Yeah. <laughs> um, put down the, the Snickers. Um, Hey, here's the thing. 
Y'all love, like, I guess if you go to Republicans who funded the Space Force, right? You go and you say, you love science, you love Mars, you love the moon. I hear you about putting a man base on the moon. I got news for you. Like, we don't know what's on the bottom of the ocean. And like, do you show them Godzilla as a movie and be like, look, that could be down there and like hope to scare them into listening? Like, I mean, Godzilla is definitely one way. And, and you know, obviously fear is- Because he slept at the tactic. bottom of the ocean for a very long time. That's and then, true. And then there was a nuclear bomb or something. I'm yeah. not super clear on the origin story. Mm. Um, I, I, you know, I You're tend a bad to nerd. lead- That's right. <laughs> That's right. I tend personally to lead more with things that I find inspiring. I think that usually leads to longer term action. Okay. Um, so what's inspiring? What's inspiring about what when you're making this choice to go into policymaking, which is not inspiring, just to be clear, Washington policymaking <laughs> is not inspiring. I spent a fair stint in DC. Um, it, <laughs> so you're going into a non-inspiring place and you're bringing joy and inspiration right. based on tiny little things at the bottom of the ocean. Tell me more. So everyone knows what an anglerfish looks like, right? Anglerfish are cool. Those are those little ones, those fish that have the little light bulbs on the top oh, of their Oh, they've got a light bulb. I love Big, a fish with a light bulb. Sharp teeth, okay. right? All Maybe right. some people even know that like the females uh, are the main ones and then the males like kind of like attach on as parasites and yeah, it's a whole thing. Lots of lots of people in the human race would feel the same way. I'm not gonna exactly. comment. So, <laughs> so everyone, a lot of people know about the anglerfish. Those are deep sea organisms. And you can take that same sort of example of having these really sort of iconic, really interesting organisms but apply that to something that maybe has even more sort of an environmental uh, impact or environmental okay. focus and show them images of these you know, deep, uh, deep black smokers where methane and, and fluids coming out of the center of the earth are entering the ocean, forming these really gorgeous, beautiful rock structures with boiling hot water right next to all these wonderful organisms that you know, are multicolored and maybe there are crabs that have bacteria living so on them. So we're going on a nature tour. Absolutely. I don't do hikes, I'm not doing underwater hikes. <laughs> but, but you did mention Planet Earth earlier. I, I did. I tried to watch it. I got 12 minutes in. I, the Attenborough voice was right to sleep. Um, <laughs> beautiful, beautiful. Looks yeah. like the background on my Apple TV when I don't touch it for too long. It's just instead of cities, it's oceans now. Right. Um, I, but I feel like you actually could find more success here with your approach in the approach that you're doing, because there's a lot of there's a lot of debate these days about okay, well, how do we convince people about climate change? How much of climate change is caused by humans? How much is not caused by humans? Um, I happen to be a believer that climate change is real because sure. I live in California and yeah. half of my state burned down. Uh, it's hotter now, like it like the weather patterns have changed in the 15 years that I lived here, and maybe that's part of history. Probably it just right like. Some of it is, some of it is, and it's very complex. But you don't even have to get into that debate at all as a scientist, because you're saying, before I even get to climate change, let me tell you about what's happening on the bottom of the ocean floor. You're not even saying yet, like, oh, a, a as like humans, we should be concerned about what we do up here affecting things down there. You're just like, yo, what's happening down here is saving this planet from destruction, and we need to fuel that. And that is irrelevant of the policy choice you make for the time being, as to whether you want to fund solar panels or not. It's almost um, an apolitical scientific stance that people can get behind, and then you throw in some pretty rock formations and like an anglerfish, and people, you're good to go. That's the hope, I, I think, to a certain extent, right? There's also, of course, the argument where you, if you connect it back to people's own personal well-being, that that is a strong argument, too. I tend to feel that climate change, for example, 
happens on a longer time scale, the more people are good at sort of uh, evaluating their personal benefits and, and impacts on. You mean it could happen over, let's say, like 100 or 1,000 years as opposed to? Or 50 even, right? And people are not good at thinking about things 50 mm. years in the future, five no, years in the future. No, I'm pretty sure I'm going to be dead in five. Right. So, so, <laughs> so I think a lot of the hope um, is to have something, you know, an organism people just love inherently. Um, there's a lot of work. Um, on the outreach side of things kind of going into this right now, sort of trying to make something to the effect of like, you know, how people love tigers, right? Well, why do people love tigers? Not for any particular ecological reason. Okay. They're just cool animals that everybody likes. They're, they're pretty. They're kind of interesting You're looking animals. for a poster boy on the bottom of the ocean to yes. make people care about the ocean. Yes, that's right. Mm. So the choice is fear or poster boy. Um, I know which way you would go, but (laughs) I mean, (laughs) I just, you know, I'm trying to incentivize people to maybe keep us alive. Um, but you're prepared to have your hopes dashed every single day, right? Like you're a scientist going into government and you're like, you know what? Like senator so-and-so, we're just not going to name names, didn't take their upper today. And so they're just passed out behind their desk because they're 96 years old. Yeah. And I'm I'm certainly awake to the fact that there are many interests in in Washington besides, uh, doing what scientists say is best. And I'm even open to that, right? Like, I, I accept that science is not the only... How do um, we know that you're not a secret agent for the bacteria going into the human population? Well, Since we've established yeah. early on that you were rooting for the bacteria. I will say that um, roughly twice as many cells in my body are bacteria than human cells. So you really can't rule that out. Okay, this is a general human fact that's supposed to be a joke, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, this is, right. again, why we keep jokes out yeah, of the yeah, papers. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right, just making sure. I was like, wait, huh? Um, okay. But I find it kind of admirable because you are part of this younger generation and you see the feud that's going on and you're like, cool, I'm just going to go in government and I'm going to try to change things. Um, And it's not through, and it doesn't discount the ways other people might change things. Other people might be grassroots activists. They might be taking to the streets. They might be mobilizing voters. But like, it's interesting to me that we often have in our head that there's like one way to contribute right? Which is hold a protest sign or social post something. But like you're literally going into the bowels of hell in DC and talking to people who are way too old to be holding those offices in some cases (laughs) and their staffers who are way too young and drunk in most cases. And like about the fact that something far more beautiful and far more dangerous than Anything above the surface exists below us. And by the way, we know nothing about it. It's like the the, the, the call is coming from inside the house, right? Like this, yeah, is, this is a That's problem. Great. I love that. I'm going to use that line. I'm going to okay. steal that. <laughs> okay. Um, well, I deserve credit. And also you need to tag this podcast every time you use oh, that okay. line, all right, all right. even verbally. But that's okay. We'll get you a release form. It's <laughs> fine. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, I, I take a lot of inspiration and, and some hope, I think, from what Dr. Fauci has done recently, just to use a household name currently, right. even though he has become more politicized and his sort of briefings have become more politicized, um, my belief, or at least my, my most recent polls that I've seen, certainly indicate that a majority of the Americans still sort of trust what he says. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that he really tries to explain things in a way that is apolitical. He's just presenting the facts and saying, you know, yes, we kind of got masks wrong at the beginning of the pandemic, now we think that obviously masks are a pretty good idea for controlling the spread. Well, I listen, I find that inspiring. 
I find you uh, entertaining and only remotely not funny. Uh, and uh, you heard it here first in 20 years. Trust Dr. Mullen as much as you trust Dr. Fauci. He's saving us from all of the methane creatures at the bottom of the ocean who are keeping us alive or maybe plotting to kill us. It's unclear because early on in his childhood, he sided with the bacteria over the humans and has been trying to redeem himself ever since. <laughs> but more importantly, he's doing something that isn't a protest sign and it isn't mobilizing voters, but it is making a difference. And I find that to be kind of inspiring and amazing. And that's the world according to Craig. So thanks for joining us. And thank you so much, Sean, so for much. joining us and taking time out away from the bottom of the ocean. It's great to be here. I'm getting you a new wool sweater to take into the submarine at Light on Fire for Christmas, <laughs> just so you know. Last time you'll ever see me. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you so much. Thanks for tuning in to the world according to Craig. It's mostly my opinions, though sometimes I back it by research. I hope to see you again soon. We'll have a new one every week wherever you can listen to a podcast or watch a video of me talking to someone. <laughs>